All right. Good job, Rachel. Good job, Camp Redstone. You guys killed it this morning, and that's a good thing. So uh, Rachel's going to stay up here with us in a, uh, for a moment because she's going to read our passage. So I know we had some people come in a little bit later, so if we didn't get a, a chance to say, hey, good morning and, and welcome, we are saying it now. So good morning and welcome to Resurrection Sunday. I'm Jerry. Um, I'm the pastor. This is Rachel. She is our children, camp, uh, Redstone Children's um, Director. So um, I'm going to open us up in prayer in, in a few moments. Rachel's going to read the passage for us. But first off, wanted to let you know, if you're new to Redstone, if this is your first time here, and we do have a lot of visitors, we are going through the book of Ephesians, and we're going to go through it um, pretty much verse by verse. It took us about 11 or, you know, or 12 weeks just to get to chapter 2, but we're in chapter 2 today. So even though it's Easter, um, we're going to stay in Ephesians. So if you go to the Gospels, you're going to see the, the death, burial, and resurrection, and we're going to go to that briefly, but then we're going to dive back into Ephesians, and there's probably not a better Easter passage than the one that we are going to look at today. So today we are going to hit three truths, and I'm calling these our three but God truths. Okay, Rachel, are you ready? So if you've got your worship guide, uh, look at that. Um, if you've got your pencil, we always encourage you to like circle and underline things that you see that just kind of jump off the page uh, to you. If you don't have your worship guide, you can look in your phone, um, or you can actually look up here, and we will have the passage here. So this is going to be Ephesians chapter 2. And we're going to go ahead and back up and read last week's passage, uh, 1 through 3, and then we're also going to then go through verses 4 through 7. Are we ready? All right, go ahead, Rachel. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. All right. Thank you, Rachel. So this time last year, you remember where we all were? We were sitting in front of a TV or a computer somewhere. You know, COVID hit, and we actually did not get to come together to congregate on Easter. It's unbelievable that we did not get to do that. But we're here today, and for that, I'm just thankful. So let's bow our heads, and let's go to the Lord and pray that he opens up this passage to us. Oh, Father, you are good. Lord, we need to be reminded of this truth that we don't take another breath apart from your grace. Lord, we've chosen this particular day just to remind ourselves of the magnitude of the death, burial, and resurrection of your son. And Lord, sometimes some of us have heard this story so many times that it doesn't hit our hearts. We forget just the magnitude of this one moment in time and how it changed all eternity. Lord, some of us are stepping into this morning thinking about Easter afternoon and all of the things that we have going on. 
Some of us are coming out of difficult weeks. Some of us are in the midst of difficult circumstances. Lord, we're a broken people, and we acknowledge that. And we come this morning to be reminded of that which we need to be reminded of. And Lord, I know that this passage has the ability to change people's lives forever. So my prayer is simple. Lord, I speak a lot of words. I pray that my words would quickly fall to the ground. Lord, I pray that that which is from you and your eternal word would stick, though. And that would be what people would take back with them as they leave this place and go back to their homes. May we decrease and Christ increase. Change us through this passage this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. So last week, let me do a quick review. Last week, we were in Ephesians chapter 2. We read it a moment ago. I'm getting ready to go through it again, okay? And in uh, chapter, chapter um, 1, or chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, we looked at this doctrine. We call it just a total depravity. And the things that we talked about was the fact that we were all born in sin and um, the fact that because we were born in sin, that we were dead, dead, dead. Uh, we were disobedient we were ultimately doomed. And as unbelievers, we were deceived because there is, as you'll see in the passage, the prince of the power of the air, the enemy, who has a course, who has a path, and we were inadvertently following that path. And as such, we were deceived. We were rebels. We were haters of God. We sat on the throne. We glorified ourselves and not God. But God. And that's what we're going to pivot to this morning. So, the but God part won't make as much sense unless you go back and, and see this. So just look at it. Let's read it together. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Dead, hopeless, lifeless, without the ability, uh, the ability to revive ourselves. Christianity doesn't make any sense at all unless we start there, unless we understand our condition before God. For if we think that we can bring anything to God, a life well lived, our good works, our intellect, our parents were Christians, my dad was a pastor. If we think that any of those things somehow have weight with them coming before God, then we're not ready for salvation. We're not broken. We don't see ourselves as dead. So we begin there. As we go back and look at just the gospel account, let's look at Luke's account of Christ's death. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. While the sun's light fell, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two, which we will come back to in a moment. And then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, this is the end, this is when Christ died. He says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, 
he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God saying, certainly this man was innocent. So it was two days ago on Good Friday, we celebrated, we commemorated the fact that Jesus, Jesus, God himself in the flesh, the name that was given to him in Matthew was Emmanuel, which means God with us. The second person of the Holy Trinity, the very Son of God, and he died willingly on a cross. And it was for this one reason, this one moment, that he chose to stoop down and to come to this earth. And the centurion was, was very much right when he said, surely this man was innocent, for he was innocent. He was the only innocent man to ever walk this earth. This is not storybook. This is not fiction. This is an historical fact that Christ, the Son of God, came to this earth and he died. That's what Friday was all about. But why? Why would he do that? That's the thing that we are going to jump into this morning. So Camp Redstone, first let me say this. You guys did great this morning. Okay? Secondly, I am so glad that you all are in here this morning. I love it, love it, love it, and we love it, love it, love it when you all are in here. Normally it's a fifth Sunday, but we're doing it for Easter. Um, and then thirdly, my question to you is just simple. It's a simple question. Is Jesus still dead? Camp Redstone, what do you think? No. no. He, he what? He, he's risen. Good job, Maya. Right? He has risen from the dead. The, the, you know, Luke says it this way, if I can get my clicker to work, which I cannot. We didn't charge it up. Sam, you want to you click? Okay, Sam's going to be... This is Sam Adams. He is our designated clicker for the day. Okay. Uh, Luke 24, 1 through 6 says it this way. You've had to do this way too often over the past year. So it's all right. It's just how we roll. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And then when they went in, they did not find Camp Redstone. They did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but he is risen. So Camp Redstone, you're exactly right. He's not dead. He was alive. He was resurrected, and that's what today is all about. So for those that are a part of Redstone Elizabeth, and if you've been here for a full year, last year we went through something that we called the Gospel 101. Um, and it was, it was a great series, and i got to kind of hit pause, and let me do just a parenthetical statement here to say, if you haven't watched it yet, we encourage you to watch um, Easter in the Appalachian Highlands. It was a production that WCQR put on. We watched it last night, and it was just worshipful. It was grand. And a lot of the things that we're talking about and that we went through in Gospel 101, you'll see in this. So Gospel 101, we took each letter of Gospel, G-O-S-P-E-L, and we broke them down, which I'm not doing this morning. But if you were here then, you'll remember that the P, anybody remember what the P was? Somebody tell me. Propitiation. 
Okay, so propitiation, it's a big, it's a Christian word, it's not, it's not in Scripture a whole lot, and I doubt that anyone in this room used that word in a sentence last week. And if you did, congratulations. But there's not a better word to describe what happened. So when we talked about propitiation, we said that in the Greek the word is propitiation, but it's got its roots back in the Hebrew that relate to this word mercy seat. And the mercy seat was on top of the Ark of the Covenant, and you had the two cherubim. These were angels, and they were on top of, of, of this covenant. And we understand, and we need to understand, that everything that was in the Old Testament was pointing to the day that Jesus would come. You know, these aren't just random scriptures. And I know I quote this often, but Jesus says, you diligently study the scriptures. And he's talking about the Old Testament when he says this. He says, you diligently study the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. He says, but these are the scriptures that speak of me. They point to me. And this Ark of the Covenant and these two cherubim, what happened is what's unfolding right here. It's exactly what Luke said. There's these two angels and there's this tomb. And in the middle of that, is where Christ had died and now he is rising from the dead. And in that one moment, propitiation is this all-encompassing word where it basically means that God comes to sinful man, holy God, righteous God, perfect God to sinful man and takes on his sin. And he atones. He atones for the sin of mankind. That is what is being fulfilled in this moment. And if you read through it too quickly, you'll miss that. So this tomb and these two angels, this is the mercy seat of Christ. This is what the Old Testament was referring to. And then later in Luke um, 23, 45, it said, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. And we understand from Hebrews that that curtain just represented holy God is on this side of the temple sinful man is on the other, or on this side of the curtain sinful man is on the other side of the curtain and there's no access at all but when christ dies that curtain is torn from the top to the bottom because of jesus because of jesus and i want to unpack this more this morning because of jesus we now have access to holy holy god it's amazing it's amazing we were dead we were depraved. We were dark. We were doomed. We were all of these other amazing deeds that you can come up with. We had nothing, no hope whatsoever. But then when we go to verse number four, we see these two words, two of the most powerful words in all of the word of God. You know, say them with me. But God, but God. But God, look at your life, believer. There was a moment that he rescued you. There was a moment that he stooped down and made himself known to you. That was your but God moment. And as I think about people that are coming to church, you know, on Easter, there's a lot of new faces here. I don't know everyone. I don't know where everyone's at, but here's what I do know. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God. I have done unimaginable things in my life, but God. I am so far from the Lord right now, you cannot even imagine what a mess I've made of my life. But God. Some of you in your hearts, you're saying, 
that is me. I have addictions in my life, but God. It's at these moments when we're at our very lowest, at the very worst, that God steps in. And that's going to take us to what I'm calling truth number one. And if you're taking notes, we've got notes in the worship guide. This is one of the fill in the blank areas. Truth number one, this is my but God truth number one. But God gives us hope no matter what our circumstances are and no matter what we've done, no matter what you've done in your life. In fact, those are the ones he came to save, the ones who feel unworthy and unsavable, which includes me. Saving us from the penalty of sin, saving us from the fear of death, saving us from wallowing in this eternal guilt for the foolish mistakes that we've made in our life. Luke 7 tells this amazing story. There was this woman, a woman of the city is what she's called, a woman of the city, quote-unquote, who was a sinner, and how she comes to Jesus, and she's weeping, and she wipes his feet with her hair, and she anoints him with an alabaster flank of um, of, of ointment and the Pharisees the religious people look at her and they look at Jesus and they say to themselves and to one another if he knew what sort of woman this is who is touching him then he would not allow her to do this he doesn't know we know her and we know her reputation this is what Jesus says in response he tells this story he says a certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. And then he asked this question. He says, now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, I know, you know, Simon's always the first one to answer. He says, I know, I know. The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And Jesus said to him, you've judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he says to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I entered, she's not ceased from kissing my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he looks at the woman and he says to her, your sins are forgiven. It's a powerful, powerful story. Wow. And when I read that, I wonder, and I would encourage you to have the same wonder, to ask the same question, am I more like the Pharisee who thought that he wasn't so bad? and maybe was above humbling himself before Jesus? Or am I and are you more like the woman who says, I could care less what everybody else thinks, but I desperately need Jesus. It's a difference between religion, thinking that I'm okay, and Christianity that says I'm dead. If Jesus does not bring life to me, 
then my life will end in total despair. And just by humbling ourselves, Psalm 51 says, a broken and contrite heart, a humbling heart coming before Jesus, he will never turn away. Someone who calls upon the name of the Lord, which we heard from the kids this morning, who just cries out to Jesus, the Lord then pivots to you, and he pivots to me, and he says, your sins are forgiven. Powerful, powerful. But remember the question of the hour is, but why? Why would he do so? Click. But God, look at this, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sins and our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Now I've got four words up there that I've marked as read and I wish that I had time this morning to go through each of those and work our way through the definitions and the applications of each of those and I don't but they do lead us to our but God truth number two but God truth number two God has chosen to bring salvation to us because he is and before I even say it if you've got any other view of God then you you don't know him but he is merciful, he is loving, he is gracious, and he is kind. Sometimes we simply have a faulty view of God. Sometimes we see him with a long white beard just ready to scold us for making a mistake. Some of us come out of homes where we, we had fathers that did not necessarily lead us mercifully or lovingly or graciously, or kindly. And it's hard sometimes for us to understand the character and the nature of God. Now, don't, under, don't, don't misunderstand me. God is, is just. There's a righteous vengeance, a just vengeance for those that reject his son, that reject the gospel, that say, no, I choose these other religions, I choose these other gods instead. I prefer not to humble myself before him because this is my life, you only live once, and I am going to live it well. I mean, there is a punishment for that. He is just. He truly hates sin. But because of his love, because of his grace, because of his kindness, because of his mercy, he has chosen to send his son to us. And this passage says that he's rich in mercy. I love that. Mercy, not punishing us as our sins deserve, this is back to propitiation because he takes our sins upon himself. He dies for your sins. He dies for my sins. He who had no sin became sin for us that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 2 Peter 3.9 says, he's not wishing that any should perish. He wants us to repent. He desires that all should reach repentance. And the reason for this at the very core is because he's merciful, he's loving, he's gracious, and he is kind. Hear me. 
Lots of words spoken this morning. Some of y'all need to hear this, and you're going to be like, I know, I know, I've heard it my whole life. Hear me. God loves you. You. God loves you. God loves me. I'm very unlovable. Ask my wife. She will tell you. I'm very unlovable. God loves you, and God loves me. And sometimes this is the one stumbling block that keeps people from coming to Christ. They see their depravity. They remember their dark and hidden sins. They know their heart's struggles. They know of their addictions. And they say that there's no way that that holy God would ever receive me. The guilt kills us. And we say to ourselves, and I know people that are not here this morning that should be here this morning, and they have said, I'll start coming once I get myself cleaned up, once I start living right. And I want to slap them righteously and lovingly and say, you don't understand. It is that sinful woman who is broken and sinful at her deepest core that comes before the Lord that he receives. He wants us as we are, and he loves us in spite of our sin. For years, years and years, as a believer, I believe that God loved the world. But I struggled with the truth that he actually loved me. And it was actually Galatians 2.20, if you want to make note of it and go look at it. It was Galatians 2.20, where it says, I'm crucified with Christ, I no longer live, but Jesus Christ now lives in me. And listen to the rest of this. The life, um, Jesus Christ now lives with me. The life he lived, you know, I'm not even going to get it right. Let me just look it up. It is Easter morning, and I am nervous, so there's that. Galatians 2.20. Anybody looking it up with me? This, will ch- this one verse will change your life, I'm telling you. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh... I live by faith in the Son of God who loved, and here it is. Here's the unpacking. Who loved me, and he gave himself for me. And I just circled that. I highlighted that, and I went back to that for weeks and weeks, asking, Lord, is it true that you love me and that you died for me? And I saw it for the first time, and I'm praying that some of you all will see it this morning. So yes, John 3, 16, we all know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, right? But look at Romans 5, 8. It takes it a little bit further. It says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, or as our Ephesians 2, 5 passage says, Christ's sacrifice was made even when we were dead in our trespasses. That's powerful. Think for a moment. Don't wallow in it, but think for a moment. What's your worst moment? Anybody got a, a worst moment you want to share this morning? Probably not. This is when we do not pass the microphone around. Okay? But we all have these worst moments in our lives. It was at that moment that Christ gave himself for you. It was at that moment 
that he chose to die for you and extend his love to you in our very worst moment. Remember Paul, who was Saul? We talked about this a month or so ago. And Saul is having Christians persecuted. He's having them put in prison. And Stephen begins to proclaim the name of Jesus. And they've got their stones. And Paul was, or Saul at the time, was their leader. And the people looked at Saul and he said, stone him. And they stoned Stephen. And he said, God, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And he died, right? Saul was in charge. He was that guy. Those were some of his worst moments. And then right afterward, Jesus reveals himself to him. Jesus says, I want you. Saul understands the gospel. His name changes to Paul. And he is the writer of two-thirds of the New Testament. He is the writer of the book of Ephesians. He had Christians put in jail. He had Stephen stoned. Your worst moment's not so bad, people. It's not so bad. Christ meets us right where we are at. And Isaiah 54, 8 says it this way. It says, with everlasting love, he will have compassion on you. No matter what you've done. He loves you. He does. He knows your sin. And he loves you all the more because of your helpless condition. Your worst sin will not scare Jesus away. So no, you don't wait till you get yourself cleaned up. No, no, no. A thousand times no. We come to him as we are, broken, dirty, helpless, dead. That's when we come to Jesus. And a further application is not just for the unbelievers, but it's for the church. As I worked through this, this passage and as I thought about applications in our own lives, even for the church, the question would be, what wrong thing has someone done to you? This can be a coworker, a neighbor, a family member, a friend. What injustice? You know, what lie, what stab in the back, what terrible thing did somebody do to you in your life? If you are a believer, hear this. There's no wiggle room here, and I wish that there were, and there's not. Forgive in the same manner that you have been forgiven. In their very, very worst moment in humanity, stepping on you to get up the ladder or whatever the situation would be, in their very worst moment, we need to meet them where they're at and extend the gospel to them and to forgive them. That's impossible in the flesh. I had a dream last night about this. I guess I was thinking about this morning. And I don't even remember everything about the dream, but I remember the answer that we were searching for in the dream. And it was Christ in me, the hope of glory. Only the resurrected Jesus within me gives me the power to do this thing. And I don't even remember what the thing was. 
But I remember waking up saying, Resurrection Sunday. But God, but God within me, the resurrected Christ living within me to give me the power to forgive somebody that's wronged me, hurt me, I don't have the ability to do that. But praise God, because of Jesus, I do. And you do. And for some people, that's the word that the Lord is giving to you this morning. It's not just the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. It's the fact that he has resurrected himself within you and he's asking you to allow him to live his life through you in the same way that he gave himself for those that are broken. Let's continue with the passage. Let's look at verses 5 and 6 with but God as the the beginning. But God, verse number 5 says, even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved and it says and he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus when it says that he was raised up that we were raised up with him there's a Greek word here it's synagetro or something to that effect but it's where we get the word synchronize. It's where we get the word sync up. Uh, commentator, his name is Peter O'Brien. He says, we were synced with Christ. What God did for Christ, he did at the same time for believers. In some astonishing way that we'll never fully understand, when Jesus got up out of that tomb 2,000 years ago, Cody Norby got up with him. You know, Andrew Young, you know, got up with him. Nanette Yarberry, who is celebrating her first Easter as a believer. She was doing this back in the back. Been in church her whole life, sang on the worship team, but didn't understand the gospel until this last year. When he, when he gets up in that moment, Nanette Yarberry gets up with him. I don't understand that. That's above my pay grade. It's a mystery, but it's a truth nonetheless. And this is why we're told over and over and over in Scripture that because of the gospel, our old self is gone, and spiritually we are a new creation because we have risen with Christ. Colossians 2.12 says it this way. It says, you were also raised with him. Galatians 2.20 that I botched horribly or earlier says that we were crucified with Christ and that we no longer live. All of Ephesians 1 that we spent however many weeks looking at, Sam, all of Ephesians 1 is saying from heaven's perspective, not your perspective, but from heaven's perspective, peripherally, if you can understand how God sees you, you are in Christ in Christ, because when Christ rose, you rose with him. And when God looks at you, you are free from accusation, you are holy and you are blameless. I don't feel holy and blameless. I get it. I don't either. I don't have to understand it. I just have to believe it. In Christ. And there's this lengthy passage, so give me a little grace here. I'm going to read about five or six or seven verses to you, but this is from Romans 6. It says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. 
how can he who died to sin still live in it? So the implication there is that we've died to sin. And listen to this. Listen, just try to focus on this. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And if we've been united with him in a death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like this. We know that our old self, that struggle, that worst moment, that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. This is glorious, people. Now, if we've died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. He doesn't need to. Death no longer has dominion over him for the death he died. He died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. And then it says this, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. What a powerful passage, what amazing truths. And this is going to take us to our third and final but God truth for the day. And it's a whopper. I usually have shorter truths. This one's a long one. But God truth number three, Christ's death, burial, and resurrection is supernaturally extended to the believer by grace through faith. And just as Jesus was raised holy, blameless, and pure, so are we to the praise of his glorious grace. What an amazing, amazing truth. And from the beginning of this study in Ephesians, we said if you read through chapters 1, chapters 2, chapter 3, which we're talking about our position in Christ, if you read through those things and if you become so technical in it and so academic in it that you're not seeing the glory of the gospel, you're missing the whole point. Because as Paul's writing this, it's like one long sentence after another long sentence. And he would just be like stopping and he would be like, to the praise of his glorious grace, to the praise of his glorious grace. He just begins to just evoke the name of Jesus and just cry out to him and to give him thanks for what he has done. Broken, dead, doomed, but God. As we close, I'm going to take us into the English classroom because Sam Adams, the English teacher, likes it when we do that. And I said a moment ago that Ephesians 1 and 2, it's just these long verses. I think 3 through 13 is like one sentence in the original Greek. And Ephesians 1 and 2, they're filled with these very long um, prepositional phrases and adjectives and adverbs, and rightly so, for these are descriptive words used for the purpose of helping the reader better understand something, okay? And in this case, these prepositional phrases and adjectives and adverbs are helping to us to understand the truth of this passage or the gospel or salvation itself. But here's the thing. If you take out all of the adjectives, all of the adverbs, and all of the prepositional phrases, and you want to know just what is the meat of this passage, 
I get lost in all of this descriptive language. What is the meat of this passage? This is what I want you to see on our last slide. I made those words big so you would see it. See them? This is it. You were dead in the trespasses and sins. And then he goes on to describe that. Verse number four, but God describes him, made us alive together with Christ, tells how, and raised us with him and seated us with him, tells where. The where, why, who, how, that's all descriptive language. That's your prepositional phrases, adjectives, and adverbs. But if you want to know what this passage is saying, you were dead in the trespasses and sins, but God made us alive together with Christ and raised us with him and seated us with him, period, or exclamation point, drop the mic, that's the moment. This is it right here. And that, my friends, is what we Christians refer to as the gospel, which simply means good news. Really, really good news. From death to life. Dead, but God made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with him. And to those that are perishing, Scripture says this sounds like complete foolishness. In fact, God says that it's the, the foolishness of what is preached that he uses to save people. I remember being at a Billy Graham crusade one time, and he shared the gospel, and it, was, it wasn't the greatest sermon I've ever heard. It was fine, but it was gospel-heavy. And I sat there, and I listened to it, and I was thinking, man, I'm really hungry. I don't think I ate anything this afternoon. I had already been a Christian for years, so this, the weight of this sermon, it wasn't hitting my heart. It was reminding me of some things, but I wasn't there. And I remember afterward, not the counselors that were walking the aisle and those kinds of things. I sat there probably for 30 minutes, and I just looked. And everywhere I would look, there would be people that would be weeping. I mean, weeping. I'm like, okay, you're in the same place that I am. You heard the same sermon that I did. What's going on? It just reminded me. Salvation is supernatural. Some people are hearing this message and it sounds like foolishness to them. Foolishness. But to those that are being saved, it's the power of God. The gospel is the power of God. And my encouragement to you, there are surely unbelievers that are here. There are some Nanette Yarberries that are here that go to church every week, but you've never understood that he loves you. And he gave himself for you. And you don't clean yourself up to come to him. You come to him broken. There are some people that in your hearts, you're hearing that and you're feeling that. Right? If you hear this, if you hear his voice, Scripture says, do not harden your hearts. Do not harden your hearts. Today is the day of salvation. And if you're already a believer, for those of us that already know these truths, man, respond by letting them sink in deep to our very core and just cry out to him to the praise of your glorious grace.
The gospel truly is amazing. Dead, but resurrected. That's what Easter morning is all about. Dead, but God. You and I were dead, hopeless, helpless, but God. What a message for an Easter morning. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for these words. I thank you for these reminders. Lord, I, I want to just be still for a moment and allow you to just speak to us individually. And even though it is Easter and we have a lot of visitors here, we're going to do what we normally do. We want to hear from the body. Lord, it's just two, these two words, but God, if we understand the implications of them, they really do have the power to change our lives forever. And this morning we're asking that you change lives and that you remind us, those of us that have forgotten or gotten complacent, Lord, remind us of the glory of the gospel. In Christ's name we pray, amen.